Welcome to the Conquer and Win podcast, where men learn how to conquer all challenges and win at life, develop self-mastery, and get success lessons from powerful guests to enrich your journey as a man. Today, I have Oren Claff, author of Pitch Anything, an innovative method for presenting, persuading, and winning the deal. Oren is in the business of getting investors for startups and established businesses, and the stakes are high, often millions of dollars and the survival of new companies. Oren's lessons not only apply to business, but to the power of influence in our personal lives too. You probably touched on this before, but it's such an awesome topic, and it's one of the big topics in in your book on uh, pitch anything about uh, frames and frame control. And I think it's a topic, or, or at least from your perspective, that most people aren't really aware of. Everyone's uh, aware of uh, different points of view, which is kind of what uh, frames are. But you you've made it into more of an art form. Like, can you talk a little bit about what a frame is? Yeah, so frames are mental constructs, and that makes them a little bit challenging to get your head around because they're not in the physical world. But as you point out, a frame is a point of view, but it's much stronger. It's it's a the embodiment or the vessel or the notion or the idea or the belief system, but it is the box frame, four corners, right? The box that holds your ideas about yourself and about the situation and about what is right that should happen. So if you uh, – the one of the easiest ways to understand the frame is you think about a four-year-old, right? I have a four-year-old, mm-hmm. and he wants ice cream before dinner, and that is a frame, right? That is a point of view. He does not understand why you would not have ice cream before dinner. He wants ice cream, and getting ice cream right now – is the right thing to do, right? And so the question is, how strong is that frame? A, I want ice cream. B, there's no reason I shouldn't have it. C, we have ice cream in the freezer. D, um, there is no known uh, believed-in pattern of dinner, dessert, ice cream. I just want ice cream now. Ice cream is good, and give it to me. That is a frame. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but for that four-year-old, that's the frame. And so he goes in, and you are planned a nice dinner, you know, and uh, you're having guests over, and the kid goes. So your frame is ice cream goes after dinner. We all want to be quiet and calm right now, and I want to have a nice event for my guests. So those are two different frames. One is ice cream after dinner, nice even the guests, and the other is I want it now, and there's no reason that I can think of that I shouldn't have it now. And so now the four-year-old goes, I want ice cream, and just lights up, screaming, yelling, stomping, right? You will give in because his frame is stronger. It's not that his voice is louder because you can quiet his voice, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that his logic is um, weaker because you can, you know, to some degree give them logic. It's not that his ideology um, is better because you can change idea. It's everything put together, his frame is stronger than yours and he will break your frame and you will have to give him ice cream before dinner or ruin your party so that's a frame now let's put that in the real world in the business world in the you know social interaction world think about a deal right uh so we we you know have this all the time a client comes and you have a proposal out just call it you know fifty thousand dollars and they go hey we like the proposal and everything we want to do it but we want a 20% or um, a $10,000 discount, right? Yeah. And now you've got an issue of frames. If you go, if your frame is, 
hey, we want the account a lot. You know, we have to discount it in order to get it. That's a fair request. Um, there's nothing we can do. We really need the account. And that's your frame. Their desire for the discount, that frame is going to be stronger than your – so these frames collide and they smash into the other. And the stronger frame will win. The stronger frame will win. So, for example, if they are asking for uh, – so so if a $50,000 contract costs you $50,000 to deliver, right? You're just trying to win a zero-profit customer, right? Like a lost leader, yeah. right? Your frame will be unbreakable, which is I cannot sell this for less than $50,000 because I'm not going to pay for you to get it, right? And so they could go – no matter what they say, they're not going to break your frame. If you have a 99% gross margin, right, it's very easy to deliver the account, uh, and it's just gravy account for you, your frame is going to probably be pretty weak, and their desire for the discount is going to break your weak frame quite easily, and you're going to give the discount. So what are the frames that are the strongest and the unbreakable and unmovable without you seeming unreasonable and a jerk. That is frame control. When your frame cannot be broken and overtakes the point of view, the vision, the desires, the ideology, the instincts, the wants, the needs of the other person and absorbs their frame right into your point of view, then you are either the winner or the succeeder. Or, but, but in generally... Uh, frames come together. They smash into each other. They they wrangle and they uh, and they collide and they mix it up. And eventually, one frame absorbs the other. And the winning frame will always be the strongest frame. So hopefully, that's a good introduction to frames. That's that's a great introduction. Now, what happens if we get two frames that are equally strong? The, the let's say the customer is absolutely set on a, on fifty thousand dollars, for example. And the dealer is absolutely set on, on holding his ground and keeping his price at 80000 He's not going to go below that no matter what because no, then he's going to start losing out on his uh, profit margin. He has uh, numbers, the goals to meet this month. What happens when well, these two frames are too equally strong? Well, here's where I think about it. You literally cannot have two different point of views and an agreement. Mm-hmm. Right? So you and your significant other want to go to Hawaii for the holidays or no sorry you want to go to hawaii right and she wants to go to uh schenectady new york however you say it rochester new york right yeah hell's frozen tundra on earth other than (laughs) siberia so one point of view is hey i want to go to hawaii and relax the other point of view is i want to go to rochester to see my family right these Two point of views cannot exist. Um, somebody has to shift their point of view. You can't get an agreement with two totally disconnected point of views. So to your question, a deal doesn't happen. Right? So the question is, what are the strongest things that you can use in your frame to absorb somebody into yours? Right? Not to beat them to death with your point of view, but to, to have them... Uh, assimilated into your point of view, right? And so it's not going to work to say Hawaii is warmer because warmth won't overcome family. So in this example that I built, right, the family frame 
is stronger than I want to be comfortable. You follow me? Yeah. You know, family. So you right. So you have uh, comfort, and then you have friendship, and then you have family, and then you have life and death, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so the family frame will win that argument. So you can't go into that argument with the I want to be comfortable and warm frame, right? You got to find the moral authority. You got to find something better, stronger, more compelling. Because I want to be comfortable will not uh, uh, overcome I want to be with family. Yeah. So the question is what in that situation, what is a stronger frame? And, and so sometimes there isn't one that's stronger and, and you have to stack frames. So maybe six or seven weaker frames stacked up like Legos can then overcome a, uh, you know, a family frame. But ultimately – the strongest position always is the moral authority frame. It's the right thing to do. That is almost unbreakable, mm-hmm. right? So this is why why power frames, like we've all walked in and a guy, uh, you know, for a job interview or for a bank application or for a venture capital meeting or something where somebody is, you know, in a powerful position and is lording over you, Right. And so people view those power frames as so strong. I find them the most easy to break, right? Because they don't have morality on their side. Uh, and, and so you can usually overcome some, you know, economic point of view or um, uh, some logical argument with the moral authority frame. Like how do you argue with it's the right thing to do? It's very oh. tough. Right. So so maybe, you know, if we go back to this Hawaii, uh, Rochester, frozen Rochester, New York over the Christmas holidays argument. Right. Uh, you go back and you say, hey, listen, uh, as you know, it's great to t- spend time with family. But, you know, given that it's your family and they're Israeli, Italian, Australian and Guatemalan. Right. <laughs> It's going to mix. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 and Russian, you know, the triple, quadruple A mix of personalities is highly stressful. Okay? You have to admit, it's great to be with family. I totally understand. But this particular family, all 45 of them, right, uh, Irish, Italian, Israeli, Russian, Guatemalan, it's a very stressful two weeks. You and I have worked the entire year without a day off, Right? And it has been a stressful year, right? Uh, well, you know, we, we were growing the company. We worked really hard. The, you, you know, we barely had a day off. We haven't taken care of ourselves physically. Really, as much as I'd like to be with family myself, the right thing to do is put ourselves in an environment to de-stress. So it's not a question of family or not. It's what's the right thing to do for our health and to respect the last 352 days that we've been killing ourselves, the right thing to do is plop ourselves somewhere where it's warm. There's nothing to do, uh, and um, and we can re you know regurgitate and reassemble ourselves for the coming year, which will also be difficult. And then right then you could start to frame stack on top of the right thing to do, which is uh, you know you could do anything you know fear mongering the <laughs> the you know the future frame, which is and 
if we don't get these two weeks to ourselves, it's very likely that we won't be able to perform at the right level going to the new year. And we have these new accounts coming in, which are going to be in themselves very stressful. If we don't de-stress, detune, get a reset and come to the new year wrong, the whole thing could go pear-shaped, cattywampus and unwind. It's a it's not only a moral imperative, but it's also an economic decision that we have to make about what to do over the holidays. So this is the way I think about frames. Myself, you know, myself, it's not about logical arguments. It's what's going to be the strongest um, box that you can house all your opinions in where when it comes up against somebody else's ideas, vision, opinions, arguments, logic, it will be stronger and unbreakable. It's interesting what you say about it. It's not about logical arguments, too, because in, in many cases, and probably most cases in life, you know, logically we'd think, oh, a logical argument would work well because we've got logic. But in, in most cases, it's overridden by emotions, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and something I'm working on now is, if you think about it, nobody comes to meet with you, talk to you, sit down with you, um, come to a sales presentation from you, have a meeting to hear your logical argument, right? Because you, you and I don't go, oh, hey, the uh, the copiers, you know, we need a new copier. Uh, we're printing, you know, 5,000 flyers a day. There's a copier salesman coming in, right? Let's go in the conference room and hear his logical arguments. Mm -hmm. what, we're, what we're going in is to learn about what it is we have and then in our own mind decide if it's good for us or not, right? So – we want information and we want new ideas and we want to know about economics and how where copier technology is today and how it's connected to the internet, how much this is going to cost us, um, how, how much better it's going to be than the one we already have, how much better it's going to be than Xeroxes or 3Ms or uh, Brothers or whatever. Like We want to understand context, we want to have information, and we want to know benefits to ourselves. We're, we want information. In no way are we going, hey, let's go in and hear the convincing arguments about that salesperson, huh. right, about why this is good. But that sales guy comes in and he goes, hey, I want to logically argue why they should buy this copier. And so the buyers and the sellers or the, uh, you know, both parties in the, in the transaction want different things. So if you are trying to convince with a logical argument, you're not giving the buyer what he actually wants. Yeah. It's kind of like you could say instead of going through like the technical specs on, on the copier, you'd be like, hey, this is a sleek copier. It's going to look great in your office. Your clients are going to walk in and see this and it's part of your whole ensemble, to, which, you know, adding to your uh, – you probably wouldn't say the, the word status, but basically adding to their status, right? You, like, hey, everything looks great here. And it also works awesome, too. You're going to get your copies out in a, a breeze. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I think about it like, uh, you know, you take it back to, I don't know if you're married or dating, you know, if people are listening. But if you go back to when you were dating, there is no situation, you know, other than a mail order bride catalog in which, you know, a logical argument gets you a mate, a date. Uh, you know, or, or anything, you can't go. You couldn't go up to someone and say, "Hey, you know, we should go out to dinner because uh, we're gonna have really, good, you know, uh, I'm very good at conversing, and you're gonna <laughs> come out learning a lot about molecular biology, which is what my PhD is in. And there's a possibility, if you play your cards right, that 
um, I'll be able to take you skiing to, uh, you know, Big Bear next weekend, um, and I'll show you, I'll prove to you that I have the budget for us to have a good time. Like, that is not a compelling argument that uh, somebody would listen, you know, want to spend time with you, yeah. right? And so bu- business and dating aren't the same. They, there are parallels, and it's but it's good to compare and contrast, right? Because sometimes in business we go, oh, somebody's going to want to work with us if I give them the logical argument. No, right? They're going to want to work with you when they're, uh, you know, emotionally excited about the idea of working with you, not the facts um, that you can do a good job for them. Yeah. I think the logic often comes in after after the fact, though, because be, because people want to justify their decisions logically as well, right? We want to kind of back it up, but at the same time, uh, in the beginning, it's an emotional decision. It gets sucked in emotionally. It's emotional, and so then we you know we go into all the pitch anything stuff from there, which is how do you crank up people's emotion in a business meeting where there is decorum. I know the country is sort of going a different way in terms of decorum, but but it still exists. When there is process, when there's decorum, information needs to be exchanged, professionalism is required. But you have to find ways, even when you have to be professional, even when uh, you know it's it may be in finance or, or economics or banking, a serious business. How do you crank up emotions so people are feeling something? about that meeting and not just processing information. And so, you know, I think about it, you know, if you look at a joke, uh, you know, you listen to any joke from any comedian, right? There's a setup, there's a path to payoff and a payoff. And the setup always raises the stakes. Somebody is in a situation, there's something at stakes. So, um, you know, if you think about it, we recently worked on a uh, telco software deal, which is, you know, telecommunication software is not the sexiest thing in the world. This particular software carries the uh, routes the voice data for 911. And when I heard that, I'm like, "Oh, you know, there's a great way to open up these meetings which go, "Hey, if you're injured, slip, fall, minor fender bender, fall off a ladder, some kind of injury in the you know, at work, uh, just fall off a curb and hurt your your you know, and hurt yourself somehow, your first instinct will be to make a 911 call, right? Yeah. When you learn, as you will here today in the next 15 minutes, how a 911 call is routed, not only will you be scared, you will drive more carefully, you'll get better equipment for the sports you play, and you will generally live a more cautious life because 911 calls are routed through a Byzantine, arcane, 50-year-old network of phone operators, private contractors, individuals, cassette tape machines, and and uh, tiny little offices that you would never for a moment think to entrust your life to. And the result of that is that a 911 call routed as it is today with the current state of telecommunication software can take for a, a um, your emergency crew to get to you the average time of 15 minutes or more. Like... So 15 minutes is a lot of time because in healthcare and emergency services in triage, they will say like seconds count, not 15 minutes count, right? Will you survive that 15 minutes in a serious injury? Maybe, probably, hopefully, right? But when seconds count, 15, 15 and a half minutes is a long time. 
This presentation has had to dramatically improve the telecommunications routing system uh, for uh, 911 and many other healthcare, medical, emergency, and important industries, right? So, you, so that raises the stakes on a really sort of boring telecommunication, otherwise, you know, software deal. So how do we raise the stakes, make, put economics on it, make it tangible, and put it in terms of human gain and loss? We're very attentive to human gain and loss. So when you raise the stakes, that's why every, if you think about it, that's why every uh, finance newsletter, you know, starts out. You can make a thousand percent or more in Bitcoin, you know, if you know how to invest. In the subject line, they're raising the stakes even beyond the human's ability to, uh, you know, process and say no, right? Uh, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, if you think about chocolate cake, right, it's, you know, sort of a negotiation at the end of every meal. Uh, so, so then they'll bring on a platter or give you a photo of or describe, depending on what quality restaurant you're in, uh, a choc- you know, double-layer chocolate cake with three layers and chocolate between the chocolate and chocolate <laughs> infused with chocolate and you know, chocolate chips on top of chocolate slabs on cho- chocolate sauce. That's my chocolate kind of cake. Bread, right? The, and so why do they do that? Because you just, you just ate you – know, you and I just ate a nice meal. We had for an hour and a half. We talked about podcasts and the state of the world and, and uh, politics, and we ate three-course meal, and we're stuffed. Like you're like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to work out tomorrow. Right? It's going to take me like three days just to recover. And then they come out with a chocolate cake, and you're like, yeah, I'll take one. Like why does that happen? Because it hijacks uh, your logical uh, – responses in nature there never would have been that much energy concentrated into a single thing like a chocolate cake right and yeah. so you know from 100,000 years ago 150,000 years ago when when there wasn't anything manufactured never in nature would that much energy resources have been in the same place and you're genetically programmed to when when that much energy is available to you to take it right so you could walk many miles across the African savannas, so you'd have more energy than your, um, than your enemies, so you'd be able to think up, you know, uh, thoughts, and so, so uh, it hijacks your normal operating system, and this is what raising the emotional stakes at the beginning of a meeting does, is it, in many ways, hijacks the, uh, the, the typical attention that somebody would give in a meeting room, and it raises their attention to be focused and centered on you because the stakes are high, you're hijacking their emotional response, and everything gets emotional. Emotional doesn't have to be, um, you know, about uh, you know something that that you know is a, a story unrelated. Emotions can be about copiers, they can be about finance, they can be about banking. But anyway, um, uh, I didn't let you interrupt, as I saw that uh, that you wanted to. Oh no, I I I don't even know what I was going to say at this point. I was just uh, getting a little wrapped up in your your story here. It, but it, it did remind me though of like um the, well the chocolate cake scenario. Like we've obviously got into very high levels of concentration uh, to hi- like you said hijack the brain uh, for our, our primal needs. Like we're like wow this is like a huge energy source and and for us on a on a physical level it just it tastes great. But even for like fruit. Uh, bananas the way they are don't occur that way in the wild people made them that way because again it, it is a higher source of uh, energy people are more uh, more um, attracted to it right we, we, we wouldn't want bananas the way they actually occur in the wild full of seeds less sweet and, oh, that's uh, a great, much great as, point 
Yeah, that's like, a great point. We're kind of on that direction, always making things more concentrated because again, it, it hijacks the brain. It's better for people selling it, uh, growing it, whatever, right? Yeah. So I think, look, as we're rounding the corner here, because I know you and I could go on for hours and we can schedule, you know, we can do this once a week. And so, so I think about, you know, the start of a meeting uh, is, you know, as we talked about in our last conversation, is how do you raise your status to that of a peer of the people you're meeting with? Nobody comes to a meeting to meet some, to hear something they already know, meet boring people and not gain any insight or to be pummeled with questions, right? They come to me to meet new, interesting people, hear new ideas, and get some insight about the world that helps them uh, uh, make money or improve their own business, right? So that meeting with you starts with you making a, yourself a peer of that buyer, not a supplicant to the buyer. You know, and that always starts like, hey, of course, uh, good to meet you guys. Uh, we've been wanting to do this meeting for a while. We've been busy. You've been busy. Finally, we each got on the calendar. That Even that's a better start than thank you so much for taking the meeting, right? <laughs> so you yeah. start as a peer, and then you roll into, listen, uh, you know, you guys, uh, you know, whatever it is you're selling, um, I know you guys need accounting, you know, improved accounting services. And, uh, you know, th that's something we provide. And we sort of took a look at you. And you're doing a good job in accounting. But we do accounting for over... 200 firms, right? What we see at the 200 firm level doing, you know, 50,000 tax returns or whatever it is, right, would really help out a small firm who only does one tax return a year. And so what we're seeing at scale, we're willing to share with you today because uh, in a firm your size, there's probably 500,000 to a million dollars of excess taxation that you're unaware of. Right. And this presentation today is how what major mistakes are being done, what mistakes a firm your size is likely making and what we, if anything, could do to help out. Right. So, I mean, I just make I don't know. I don't sell accounting service. I just make that up on the spot. But it's it's giving some insight, uh, giving an appreciation for us as not a seller, but as a peer for somebody who knows something that you don't, who has insight on an area that you're not familiar with and um, is willing to help you out if you behave like a good buyer and participant. So this is a way I start to think about frame control, framing, starting meetings off, status, and that's what's going to make a strong frame for you. So when you go to close, your frame isn't breakable by a discount. The discount frame is actually pretty weak. That's like having a, like a, a starting off with a powerful mindset. Like it, the the way you're talking about frame control is like having the mindset that hey, we're not we're not below the uh, the buyer, and we, we don't need them, uh, but we'd work with them if they're if they're a good buyer, if they're a good customer, right? We're not going to uh, we're not going to lower our standards though for them. Eddie, I love how you marginalized my whole career, my whole business, <laughs> everything that I care so much about into uh, having a good mindset. Thank you for making me feel so small. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I wanted to uh, get a stronger frame, right? So, <laughs> Orin, is there any big projects you're working on right now? Or if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how should they do that? Reach out to me at Orin at PitchAnything.com. Go to PitchAnything.com. PitchAnything.com. Get the free and, and great stuff there. And then let's, uh, you know, you and I talk offline and we'll do this again. I love these conversations that we have together. Although... You could make the argument 
that I talked for 95% of the time and it wasn't really a conversation. Uh, but next time, we'll let you talk 95% of the time and balance all of this out. Thanks for listening to the Conquer and Win podcast. Conquer your challenges and become a stronger man in life and business by joining the community on conquerandwin.com. Until next time, stay strong. Music credit goes to David Fowle on YouTube at Free Metal Songs.